You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderlin, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. I want to share this morning with you as we have, uh, we'll be participating in the Lord's Supper in just a little bit. I never want to kind of spring that to you. So if you missed that, Dan mentioned that uh, earlier, that we will be doing that. To do that well, honestly, it's kind of a frame of mind. You know, you want to just all of a sudden just kind of jump in and do something. And so uh, every service, whenever we do this, we try to hopefully help you to kind of just prepare your heart and to think about that worshipfully as we especially focus and remember what our Lord did for us. But before we do that, I'm going to share this morning with you. I'm going to try to get to number seven, but I may run out of time. So I'm going to kind of keep my eyes on the clock, but I'm going to share with you some keys of how to invite your friends and your family to know Jesus. All of us have just dozens of people in our life that we interact with on a regular basis, whether it's family, whether it's friends, whether it's our neighbors, whether it's our, our coworkers, whether it's a person that we see and meet at the store. I, you know, I'm, it's, I tell some people, I'm like, the best thing about River of Life's location is Tractor Supply is right next door. So some of you like, thank you, you know, like you can go to church and you can go get chickens if you want right after, you know, where else can you do that? Um, but, you know, I go in there enough now that I'm seeing the same people and over again, they're just, we are swimming among just all kinds of people, people with souls that are made in the image of God that need Christ. And, and there are some tremendous keys in Romans 10 that we need to remember that God wants to use us in this world to help introduce people to Jesus. So with that, if you would, uh, look, at, look with me in Romans 10. I'm going to read the first few verses, and like always, we're going to work on a few more. But uh, join me in reading Romans 10, 1 and following. The Bible says this. Paul says this. He says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, that them as the Jews, when we talked about that last week, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. That just being a Jew doesn't make you a follower of God or a follower of Christ. Just being considering yourself a Christian or even going to church doesn't necessarily mean that automatically that you are saved. But he goes on, he says this, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. In other words, you're kind of a hot mess, you know, when you've just got a lot of stuff going on, but you're really not accomplishing them much. They're kind of spiritually, they're just, they're a hot mess. They got a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, their own righteousness, he's saying, they did not submit to God's righteousness. God, we don't want your righteousness. We're not going to follow you. We're going to do our own thing. Even though God went to great lengths to explain all of this. And I mean, think about it. We can look at the Old Testament like, oh my goodness, Sean, I get bogged down. All these laws and everything. I'm like, yeah, kind of important. God took an awful lot of time to kind of explain this. And they said, we don't want to deal with the real truths of that. We're going to kind of do our own thing. And ladies and gentlemen, it's never wise to ignore and reject what God's trying to tell us. So he says, they don't submit to God's righteousness. He says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. He said, they don't get it. The law is meant to lead people to Jesus, that Jesus is the end result. He's, the, he's everything past the equal sign. When you do all the stuff, this is Jesus, and he's the one that gives us his righteousness. So seven kind of keys, if I can get that far. I will try to fill in the blanks now that I've given you a number. We're gonna at least get, I can at least get to five. We'll see if I can get to seven uh, quick enough. But the first thing I want to recognize, and this is a simple one, and we know to do this as followers of Christ, is pray for them, right? 
Paul says, my heart's desire and prayer to God is that they may be saved. We naturally pray for things. Prayer for a follower of Jesus is natural. It's like breathing. God, good morning. God, I want to be with you. God, I need you. God, help me. God, I see this. God, wow, you're amazing. You can't, if you really, if you're a follower of Christ, you can't hardly even read the Bible without somehow spontaneously, like, just like amazing or just like, ooh, God, that's a hard one. What, how, what do I do with that? It's a part of that natural relational being. It's why you and I at heart are relational creatures. You know, God made us relational, not just for each other, but He made us relational for Him, right? And so prayer is that natural us participating, reciprocating into, the, into the, the relationship that God's given us through His Son, Jesus. And Paul says, my heart, I am moved. This is what I want. I look at my, my fellow countrymen, my fellow Jews that have had all these blessings that we talked about last week, and I desire for them to know Jesus. I desire for them to be saved from their sin. I desire for them to have an eternity in heaven for, to experience really not just religion, but God in their life. I desire that. So the first thing in your life and in my life, if we're going to be God's effective ambassadors in this world, because folks, that's really, that's really the main reason as far as I can tell. When you trust Jesus, God doesn't say, okay, there's another one. I'm going to bring you home now. Oh, there's another one. Is that He wants us to represent Him and kind of pass on that message, pay it forward, whatever the new modern world is going to say, pass the baton, to, but to help others to know Him. But the real key in that, it starts with you and I having a desire, recognizing the importance of the people around us. Now, from what I can see, there's a couple of things that keep us from, from seeing people who they really are. One, we tend to get annoyed at people. Let's be honest. I know you're all perfect Christians. You don't ever do anything wrong. You don't ever think anything, you know, that anyone in, driving in front of you, everyone that you drive behind is always a perfect driver, right? You know, they never go too slow. And they just every, you just, you think wonderful thoughts about everybody. You There's a mouse there. Wonderful. So you're eventually going to see it. So I have caught two of those before. Yeah, it's going to come your way, Dee and, and Donna. So we'll... It's the church mouse, so all the ladies are in the room, you know. So long time ago, I used to sit over there, and there was a mouse going in and out of the door, and it was distracting the homeroom, so I grabbed that sucker, and I caught him like, well, you are going outside, my friend. <laughs> anyway, so our job is to, have a, to see people for who they are and to realize they're made in the image of God, and God cares about them, and not to allow the distractions in the world, right? We get so focused in all the things. And folks, God wants, He cares about the people around us. I mean, we have to put ourselves in their shoes. The reason that you, if you have surrendered your life to Christ and are a follower of His, the reason that you've done that on the human side, I know there's a whole God side to this. We talked some about that, and there's mysteries in here, folks. It's hard to get our hands right. But the reason on the human side that you're there is because somebody cared enough about you to tell you about Jesus. And your whole eternity was at stake for that. And we are swimming among people all around us that are there. So be careful as you look at the world around us that you don't get so jaded at, at people that are sinners against God. They're doing what they're supposed to do. 
Just like when you have a baby, babies are supposed to cry and annoy you. Sinners are going to cry and they're going to annoy you and they're going to do lots of things in your life. But your job and mine is to represent Jesus well. And the least we can do is to pray for them. Now, I'll tell you a secret. If you don't pray for them, you won't do any of these other things. But it starts there, like everybody. So it's identifying some people at work or whatever and beginning to truly, genuinely pray for them by name. Or if you're that person that's done that, going back to that and not forgetting that, but genuinely seeing people for who they are. Even people that are frustrating, that maybe seem like out to get you, like they are people made in the image of God and they need the grace of God in their life. Second thing, we all know to pray, but the second thing I want to share with you is that we need to recognize that people, all people have a faith background. They're all coming from somewhere. We need to realize that people aren't starting from zero in some ways. By that, I'm not saying that, that people are close to God and we just need to kind of help them over the, uh, the hump. Truthfully, everybody is separated from God. It's, it's, it's either you know Jesus and a relationship with Him or you don't. You are completely in the dark and out to lunch, clueless. That's what Paul is saying. It's like, these, my fellow countrymen know all these things, but they are far from God and they don't get it. But everybody in your world has a faith background. I don't care if we're if you're a coworker or if your family member is a, a proclaimed self-professed hardened atheist. There's actually very few of those in the world. Most people are just like, yeah, I really don't know. I'm not too sure something's there. I don't know what's going on. But even atheists have faith. They don't want to admit it, but they have faith that there's nothing. You see, it's easier to prove that something exists than it is to prove something doesn't exist. It's a whole lot easier to say, oh, I found one, here it is, and it's to say, this one thing doesn't exist anywhere in the world, because that means simultaneously you have to be at every point at the same time and know everything in the world, and kind of impossible for us as people. It's actually easier to say something does exist than not. So an atheist, whether they admit it or not, they are walking by a tremendous amount of faith themselves. So everybody has a faith background. Paul recognized his people's faith's background. He says, look, they've got a zeal for God. And I know what their hang-up is. They're trying to earn their salvation. So as Paul interacted with his own people, he knows where they were coming from. He knows what they're thinking. He knows what their hang-ups were. He knows what their objections were. He knows what they're thinking. So he knows how to relate to them. What that means for you and for me, if we're going to represent Christ well in this culture around us, or individually the person you're talking to, or the family, or the coworker, we kind of need a little time to get to know what they're thinking, where they're coming from. In football terms, if you're not a fan of football, don't worry about it. Don't, I'll, I'll hang with me in this illustration. If you do have football, no football, this will kind of make sense. In football, there's kind of two types of running backs. The running back's the guy, the person that gets the ball, and their job is to move the ball forward and get out of their way and move. And there's kind of two types. One's a really big guy who just mows over who's in front of them, right? They tend not to be very fast, but they tend to be strong and big and just plow forward. And then there's another that's kind of a fast, agile. They kind of, sometimes they can frustrate you if you're fans. Like, just go forward. Quit this dancing back and forth if you're really a fan. But they kind of are looking for holes. They're kind of more the strategist. There are very few people in our world today that need the first approach when it comes to sharing the gospel. Very few people need somebody to just hit them and run over the top of them. That doesn't feel very good, does it to you? Like, you know, nobody sells you anything that way. If you're in the market for a, I don't know, a car or a new toaster or whatever, you don't want somebody like, hey, this is one you got to get right here. And you're like, well, hey, let me, I want to see, like, let me check it out. 
So you and I need to know where people are coming from so that we look for the opportunities, so we could hear where they are to know where we don't insult them because we're talking about things that they already believe, or maybe we don't blow by things that they have important questions that we need to walk through. So that means you and I, rather than just saying, I've got the answer, i got the solution, i got the three steps of a perfect cure in your life, just what you need to do is trust Jesus. It's like, hello, treat them as a human being with real life, real flesh, real blood, real thinking, real experiences that are processing stuff. How do we know whether or not they've been abused by uh, you know, somebody in their life who was a professing Christian? And so they're like, man... If that's what it is to be a Christian, I don't know about that. Maybe we got to talk about some of those things, you know, instead of just running over the top of them. How do we know they're not coming from a completely different faith background that we need to respect and honor and help them to consider the claims of Jesus and grace? And so Paul says, I know my countrymen. I, I know. And, I, and their real thing is, is that they've got a zeal. They're, they're energetic. They're going after it. But it's not according to knowledge. They're trying to do their own thing. Truthfully, every religion is trying to do its own thing and not God's thing, really. And that leads me to the third thing is that you need to realize whenever you're talking to someone or you're praying for someone, there's a tendency for every person to want to pay their own way spiritually. It's humbling to accept gifts, right? It's, it's easier. If you can afford it and can do it, it's a whole lot easier to buy a gift somebody and give it to them, you know? It's harder to be on the other end to say, yeah, I really had a need, or wow, you really did something for me. There's a, it feels good, but it's also humbling, right? Now, if it's, if it's your spouse, or if it's, you know, your mom or dad, and it's your kids, or you give it to your kids, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about maybe people that you know, but a little more distant. And when they've sacrificed and really dumped something, you're just kind of like, wow. We tend to like and want to pay our own way. Generally, that's a good thing. You know, earn your keep, do what you're supposed to do. But it doesn't work that way with God. Most people that you have around you are trying to earn their own way with God, and it doesn't work. That's why people sometimes wonder, well, the reason we have so many religions is because they're all the same. They all go to the same God, just different roads. You're like, no, that's not why. The reason we have so many religions is because everybody in the world realizes people are really jacked up and messed up, and it is a big problem. And there's something in our heart that says, I'm guilty, I've done wrong, I've got shame, I don't know what to do with it. And so we are made in the image of God with a sense of eternity. And so every human being on this planet is trying to like figure this out. And some have systematized it and come together with other very religious and elaborate systems to make it feel better somehow. So whether we're talking about Hinduism, where, you know, go and get your sins purified in the, in the Ganges River, a polluted river, to go kind of wash away some of that, it's a person stepping out and doing something. Whether it's the five pillars of Islam, the, doing these five things to, you know, avoid sin, don't do sin, to do these five things, and maybe God or their, in Arabic, Allah, will accept you, or even some forms of Christianity, do these sacraments, do these steps, and everything will be taken care of. And yet, when we come to the Bible, God is the one who deals with our sin. Look what the Bible says. I just saw you a minute that Paul said, look, they're trying to earn their salvation and rejecting God's righteousness. They're trying to establish their own. They're trying to do all this stuff to make their own. Paul says they're not accepting God's. And he goes further. Look what he says in verse 5. He says this, 
Moses writes about the righteousness that's based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will go into the depths of the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you and in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we proclaim. What Paul is saying is this. He's like, guys, don't think, don't. This whole salvation thing and you being forgiven of your sins, having a relationship with God and going to heaven, you do not have to move heaven and earth. You don't have to become a scuba diver and get into the deepest part of the ocean to somehow deal with your sin. You don't have to climb Mount Everest. You don't have to do all of this stuff. You don't have to, all this elaborate things. Like, that's not what salvation is. Some of the hardest people that I ever have to share and talk to them about how to know Jesus are the most religious people because they've gotten used to an elaborate system. They're busy climbing Mount Everest and they've erected all this structure to deal with their sin. And God's like, that's not it. All of us as people have a tendency to want to pay our own way. And the person that you're praying for is most likely there too. Now, sometimes if the person you're talking with, Bashan, they're not really religious. They're not any of those other religions, and they're really not Christian. Like they're, They think there's kind of a God out there, but they really aren't too sure. They're kind of not against Him, so they don't want to offend Him, but they're really not for Him either. Most of those folks, their system is, well, I'm a pretty good person. I haven't really done anything wrong. I'm a nice guy. I care about my family. I'm, I'm okay. Yeah, I've messed up a little bit. But it's not. Everybody has. It's not that big of a deal. Really what they're saying is, is I've got my righteousness and I don't need God's. And make no mistake, for them to know Jesus, that understanding and belief has to be torn down. You can't do the tearing. Only God the Holy Spirit can, but you've got to speak in a way to help them to understand that they can't be good enough on their own, that we're all sinners before God. And it's okay to say that and to come to terms with it because God wants to forgive us of that anyway. You know, we've all grown up. Like the way you get off from getting out of trouble is you, you hide, right? <laughs> like a kid, like, don't tell mom and dad, you know, you try to hide and cover it over. But when God begins working in your heart, you realize, oh, God actually has already seen that. And he's caught, caught by surprise. Yes, he's offended, but he already poured out his punishment on his son Jesus. Wow, I think I'll admit my sin too, and I think I'll trust Jesus because he already paid for it. And now I can be a child of God. So recognize that everybody's trying to establish their own goodness and so you got to eventually, they got to deal with sin. So pray about that, that God would open their heart. Look for opportunities to speak. Fourth thing, help them to understand the simplicity of the gospel. Look what Paul goes on and says. He said, you know, he says, this word is near you. You don't have to climb Mount Everest to go get it, to go get Jesus. You don't have to do all of this stuff. It's simple. He says, here it is in verse 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Simple. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. We talked about that before. We believe 
in that Jesus, and He died for our sins, and God declares us to be righteous. His righteousness, His goodness gets put on our account. We are justified when we believe. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. Confession is not first and foremost admitting to doing something wrong. That's what we think, right? Confession actually means to agree with. Confession is, uh, yeah, God, I agree with you. I did do that wrong. It is an admission, but it's actually agreeing with. So when we agree that Jesus is our Lord, that He's not just Lord of this universe, but He is our Lord. And when we believe in our heart, not just believe in our head, but with every fiber of our being that Jesus died on the cross and he, for our sins and He rose again, and we put our faith in that to save us, our belief in Jesus and our confession our, of Him as our Lord, that's what brings salvation to us in real life. That's why we often talk about surrender here. If you've come to River for a while, you hear us talk about that a lot. And we've, we've focused on that word equal to and actually a bit more than belief because most people who grew up in church are like, well, I believe in Jesus. I believe in God. I believe. I believe. If Paul were to ask his fellow countrymen, do you believe? Of course I believe in God. I'm a Jew. I grew up keeping all these things. But they really were not followers of Jesus. They really were not believing in Him into the depths of their heart. And Paul gives us a second, not a second piece, but he kind of explains what that belief really is. It's a you and me submitting to Jesus being in charge of our life. It is a it is a yielding to Him. That's not to say that, you know, that, that when we surrender our life to Him, that, that we never do anything wrong after that, or that we're not somehow disobedient or rebellious at moments in our life. No, but it means that we recognize that He is the Lord Jesus of this universe, and that He is Lord, died for our sins, and we yield to His death and His resurrection. We put ourselves into His hands, if you will, to pay for our sins. And the gospel is a a simple yielding. We don't have to do all these things. We don't have to go anywhere. It's actually a lot closer. And if you've been coming to River for any time whatsoever, it's a word that's here. Like it's it's right here. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to wait till tomorrow or the next day. But it is simply saying, oh my goodness, Lord Jesus, I yield to you. I confess that you are my Lord. And I put my absolute faith in you. So help those that you're trying to invite to Jesus to take that step to understand the simplicity of the gospel. As simple as it is, most people that I talk to want salvation to be harder. Now, it's crazy. When I went to school, I wanted easy. Anybody else with me on that? I wanted the easy test. I know it was good for me to do hard things. I know it was good to do all this other stuff, and I get that level, but man, at the end of the day, I want easy, Right? But it's strange when it comes to this, we tend to make it more complicated and harder because there's something in us that we feel like if it's more complicated and harder and we do it, it's going to stick more. But it's actually the reverse. The more we try to do it, the further we get away from God. The more we try to make it ourselves, the less and less it's of God. And God's like, look, come to me on my terms, accept my grace and my salvation, and simply believe. Surrender by faith to my Son as your Lord of your life and Savior of your soul, and you will be saved.
It's very simple. God is still in the saving business, ladies and gentlemen, all around us. In the first song or one of the songs we sing today, there's more that God wants to do in our region. God has not put on his heels in our culture today. We may, as Christians, sometimes feel that way, but God is not. He's not. And there's people in your world right now that God is wanting to save, and he's working in their hearts and their lives. He's just waiting on you to believe it, to pray for it, with a little bit of understanding, to engage and to walk through and walk forward with that. So that's the... I don't know, fourth or fifth thing there. I think I'm about to hit the fifth thing. So let me hit this. Time's running so I I can get these in. And I think they'll make sense and be helpful to you. I really don't want to go out of here without speaking on these. So look what the Bible says in verse 11. For the Scripture says, Everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. That's everybody on the planet. You are either Jew or Gentile. We're, we're, We're all Greek at this point. That's what this is synonymous with, all right? For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You and I need to understand and to know that there's not a person in your life today that cannot be saved. Not not one. I understand and we talked about some you know, challenging things last week and, and, and depending on where you land on all of those, you know, with all of it. But Scripture is very clear that anybody who calls on the name of the Lord, they will be saved. Anyone who says, Lord, help me. I'm a sinner. I have messed up. And I know that Jesus died. Would you forgive my sins, not based on what I've done, not based on my religion, not based on all my religious stuff, but you would you forgive me based on what your son Jesus did? I trust him, and I want him to be in charge of my life. Everyone who calls upon him 100% of the time, and if there was a percentage that was more, it would be 110%, but that's not really a number. I guess it is in theory. I'll leave the math to the math people. But everybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, be forgiven and renewed, and have a new life, and have the God of heaven living in their soul, a changed life on this earth. Is that there's not a person in your life. So we get discouraged when they go, so and so is so hard. Oh, yeah, they'll never believe. And we get discouraged, like, why isn't it happening? You know, if I put something in a microwave to heat, and if it takes more than 30 seconds, I'm getting like, i got things to do, you know? Like, why isn't this popping out? And if anything, we are more that way today. Instapot, you know, all the fancy gadgets. We want everything just done immediately. We want to be able to order up whatever we want and get it done today. And God's like, I'm sorry. I don't work that way. I'm not a computer. You're punching your little numbers. I'm not a vending machine. I'm just going to spit out this thing in life. And sometimes, folks, God works over decades. And you and I hate that. We really do. But God teaches us faith. He teaches us perseverance. It's good for us. It puts some muscle on us and it makes us work out and trust Him. But there's not a person alive that does not have that potential of surrendering and yielding to Jesus. And that's the kind of faith and trust and assurance we have to have in a God who's looking to save. That It's available to all, to everyone who calls on Him. Sixth thing. We have to accept that we are sent. 
He goes on and explains, how will they call on him? In other words, how are people going to call on Jesus in whom they've not believed? How are they going to believe in him of whom they've not never heard? And how will they hear without someone preaching or proclaiming is what that word means? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? And as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. He doesn't say how beautiful are the mouths of those who preach good news. He says how beautiful are the feet. Isn't that weird? Feet don't preach. Feet go. Now, some of your feet probably preach. Like when you're sitting there watching a movie, you take your socks off, and you're like, whoo, whose feet are so stinky? They preach in a little bit there, I assure you. But feet are made for walking, right? What Paul is subtly telling us is that to do this well, you and I have to go. It's what the Bible's telling us. Preaching, we tend to think of preaching like this. Well, Sean, you're a pastor, and that's what the pastors do. You preach. But that word means to announce. It means to proclaim. It's like a, it's the same idea as a gender reveal, right? You know, people revealing their genders, or the, or the babies that they're being, they're being born. I read of a guy that did it. He and his wife did a, a gender reveal. I don't remember which state it was. It wasn't too far away, and they'd use tannerite. If you know anything, tannerite's like a kind of a low-grade explosive. And they used a lot of it. And it was in a quarry, so in theory, you ought to be able to do stuff in a quarry that kind of stays there. But they set off enough of it that it blew some windows out of some homes quite a ways away. Like, it was revealing, all right. You know, the whole town's like, hey, what was that sonic boom that just went on? That's what this word preach means. It means to announce. It means to proclaim. It means to state. It's what you and I are supposed to do. Not just what we do for 30 minutes or whatever on a Sunday morning. It's what we're supposed to do as we live out our life, to make an announcement about who Jesus is. It's what you do when you get something new. It makes, it's what you do when you find something. It's what you do when you're happy or your team won or whatever. It's a declaration of like, wow, look at this. You see, you and I need to accept that God has already sent us. How will people believe unless they hear? And how are they ever going to hear and know unless somebody gets on their little feet? I guess today you can make an argument for their feet. I mean, their, your hands, you know, typing or whatever and messaging or whatever. But we have to move outside of the things that we do now to proclaim that good news. You and I get discouraged when we don't see those results because we think that, well, I took one shot, I'm supposed to get it. If you've ever fished before, how many of you have ever fished? Like just in, in water, all right? Did you catch something every single cast? If you did, I want to shake your hand because you are the best fisherman in the entire world. You could probably win every fishing tournament out there known to, to mankind. There's, you know, muskies are humongous fish. Like, don't let your kids go swimming with muskies. They might swallow them whole. That's a bit of an exaggeration, but they're enormous. They're, you know, up north. They call them a fish of a thousand casts. You just cast and cast and cast for the one big one, right? You and I need to just be fishermen. I think somebody said that once. I know in Jesus' day, fishing was a net, not this, but this works too for our culture. So you and I have to live and touch, and over time, lots of people, but God will use us, and God, through our life and through those conversations with people, He will change their life and lead them to Christ, but it has to be our feet going and praying for them and engaging them and becoming friends with them. You know, 
We used to talk about, you know, inviting the church, and that may be. Today, I'm, I'm even hearing after COVID, people are just, some people like, we closed up as a people. Some people are just still scared to even like to gather. And even there's a kind of a, almost a bubble, it seems to me, of, of young adults that just kind of through COVID missed out on social interaction. Like it's an intimidating thing to walk in through those two doors not knowing anybody. It's, it's scary. And so you might need to invite them to your house to watch a game, not really to do much more than that. Or maybe you invite another couple with that couple and you mix in a little Christians, not, not corner or ganging up on anybody, but just to create some relationships and take some walls down. But whatever it takes, we have to engage. And that's why we as a church try to do those genuine big days that we just to put some things out there that you can invite people to, to just to have opportunity. Last thing I'm going to be done is we need to recognize that people's eternities are weighing in the balance. There it's, that's what's at stake. But you and I don't fail when we do these things. Right? We, we, we can't fail. Look, look what the Bible says. Paul goes on. He says, he says, but I ask, have they, in verse 18, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world. But then he, he goes on, and this is verse 20, which is probably on your screen. I don't remember. I get turned around a little bit. Then Isaiah is so bold to say this. He says, I've been found by those who did not seek me. I've shown myself to those who did not ask me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I've held up my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. That's the thing I want to focus you on. You know what God is saying? is like, look, don't feel bad like you failed when you're reaching out and these people are contrary and disobedient and don't want to hear it. Does God ever fail at anything? We could philosophize or whatever the right way to say that is about that. But I think it's pretty clear God doesn't fail at anything because failure means you're lacking something and you're less than perfect. And he's like, I'm reaching out to these people who are disobedient and they're not responding. So you don't fail. So sometimes we don't engage people as we think, well, I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to do the wrong thing. I might mess this up. I might whatever. Yeah, the stakes are high. But listen, God is the one who's the Savior. You're just the little helper, Right? If I, if I come to your house and you need a little help to do something, I don't know, you need to overhaul your boiler or do something, I'd be like, look, I don't know anything, but I can bring you coffee. And if you need a screwdriver, I know what a flathead is and a Phillips is, and I can go find you a socket if you need it. Like, I can be that guy. That's all that you and I are. We're, we're those people. We're not the Savior. We're just carrying a little bit of water. God does all the heavy lifting and the working of the soul, so we don't need to be afraid. And if don't let the results that you may or may not see make you think, well, I failed, nothing happened. No, you never fail when you live and you engage and you pray for and you share, or you invite them to a place, some place where they can hear. Maybe it's you give them something, but you can't fail. You can't, it's an impossibility. So folks, I don't know where you are in any of these things today. I don't know if you've been discouraged about where people are. I don't know if you've gotten distracted. It's easy as Christians today to get distracted and to get focused on more of a political agenda or some of these other things. And yeah, those things matter before God. 
But remember what we talked about last week? The Bible said the reason we're not Sodom and Gomorrah today is because God in heaven is doing something. The solution ultimately is God doing what God does and us doing what He's told us to do, having sent to us. As a church, our breathing should be gathering and scattering, gathering together to worship and grow and encourage, scattering to be salt and light. We like the gathering parts. We feel encouraged. We feel built up. We're more, more people that are like, man, I want to go to church because these people just, like, they, they are normal people. Like, they don't, they're not, they've got their heads screwed on straight. And then we get into the world like, oh, these people are nuts. They're crazy. We like the gathering part, but you know what? We don't get to make that choice. God tells us to gather and he tells us to scatter. That's the salt and light. The reason you are all these different places that we work and the challenges, because he doesn't want, he doesn't have us there to run ramrod over people, but he has us there to represent him. Because he's got a lot of people in your life that he wants to save. And he wants you to, in essence, be the church to them where you are out and about. He wants you, in essence, to be their shepherd, to be their servant, to be their friend, to be their gospel person. He wants to use you in that way. So pray with me if you would. Father, we are grateful for Jesus, grateful for salvation. Help us, Father, to care about people and to not be so distracted. And Lord, not to be so burdened. I know that some things are just distractions because we're having fun, but sometimes we are just truly burdened and we can't think about taking on one more responsibility, one more hard thing, one more challenging thing. Lord, would you help us to, in the middle of that weakness, to just what little we can do to care and to pray and to, to engage people in small ways, to not despise those small things but to trust that you use them. Lord, we want to carry your water. We want to bring the wrench and the, the screwdriver and whatever we need to do that you're working in people's lives. Father, would you use us individually? Would you use us as a church? I pray in Jesus' name, amen. 